Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host tonight. And with me in the studio is a man who, despite a run of former co-host so wretched that it's got the entire country talking about him, has pledged to carry on until such a time as he gets a tap on the shoulder. It's Tony Kerr. I'm here, mate. Full of foreseeable. Still here. Still here. Still clinging on. <laughs> until someone tells me otherwise. Until such a time as I... Uh, as I change the locks on the studio, I suppose. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm just doing a podcast at the moment. Uh, okay, actually, cool. Mate. All right, cool. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. Same, I think. <laughs> How's it going, T-Bone? Yeah, it's good, thanks. Do you enjoy the cricket over the weekend? It was good, yeah. But I don't enjoy. Enjoy is a strong word. Enjoy is a strong word. I, at times, enjoyed. I experienced the cricket yeah, over the weekend. I was. I was, I was conscious of it <laughs> certainly uh well yeah we're obviously going to be talking about that the the lord's test we're going to be talking about it in uh searing depth on tonight's show i've certainly got a lot of things to say a lot of things to say about it i was actually talking to someone this week uh someone who knows me from work wasn't aware that i had a podcast and came across it for some reason they were sort of asking me why i do it which is always an awkward conversation to have uh, Why because, you do it, it? because it makes me examine my own <laughs> reasons for doing it. But uh, I do often think that a big reason for doing it is that I've just got so many opinions about cricket that if I didn't do this, I think... Where I'd, would they come out? Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I would probably not have many people wanting to talk to me because I'd just be talking about cricket all the time. <laughs> because I know I've got this, it's, you know... it. it calms me down a bit the rest of the time i can come on here and vent and you just sit there in gun range or something like that you just sit there on theme hospital you should be paying me quite a lot of quite a lot of money per hour i mean a few hundred pounds an hour would be my rate i think for this well, kind of the last couple of episodes kind of i've actually taken to just lying down <laughs> <laughs> i should get a bench <laughs> i cut out a lot of you going and how does that make you feel that'd be quite an idea actually for a, a podcast for therapy. <laughs> like just recorded therapy. That's like, like this. I want that's to say the exists. opposite of what therapy is meant to be. Therapy podcast. It's a lot of extra work, isn't it? <laughs> and presumably one of us would have to qualify as a therapist to, to kind of be the kind of doctor, you know, the Dr. <laughs> Phil character. So immediately that is quite a lot of extra work. And, and it's only a degree or something, isn't it? It's also totally the opposite of what therapy's for. It's meant to be a safe place, just <laughs> you and one other person. It's kind of, you know, completely confidential. That's not what a podcast is, is it? Yeah, but there are people who are barmy enough to want to do therapy in public, I'm sure, on a, in a public forum. Are you suggesting I'm one of those people? Yeah. We look at you've done it for the last 230 weeks or something. <laughs> it is a kind of a form of therapy, not just the cricket, but just... Cheap just therapy. In, just in general. Have a podcast. <laughs> 
It's just a way of me kind of verbally unpacking my life. Speaking of which, what I wanted to talk about this week, it's hot out, Tone. Isn't it? Have you noticed this? It's lovely. The weather is hot. We've had a heat wave here in Guernsey this week. Have we? Yeah. You it's, were been, saying... it's been a really nice summer all round. I don't, I don't think it's been... It's only marginally warmer this week. Well, no, it's been a... It's, it's been July, a, mate. It's been it's... a glorious summer so oh, far. No, it's been amazing. The last, the last week, I think, has just been... It's gone from being really nice to actually it's becoming quite uncomfortable at work. I don't, you know, you know me, Tone. I don't like to complain about things. No, and I certainly not. don't like to complain about hot weather because, you know, in the in the depths of winter, I, I'd bite your hand off for a for weather like this. But well, it is, it has been unpleasant this week. It's far too hot. Plenty of opportunities for you to get out there and get some material uploaded to Yes, it's Adam Bayfield <laughs> and the now famous Beach Instagram account. I was on the beach today. I took a couple of pictures. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll upload one of those tonight, Tone. Well, I look forward to that. That's <laughs> something really to look forward to tonight. <laughs> well, you should do something better with your evenings than just refreshing my Instagram account. Oh, you, no, my finger's getting a bit tired. If you're so bored of the beach pictures. I think since we last recorded, you've played cricket a couple of times, Tone. I have. How'd you get on? Well, yeah, I started the summer just kind of, you know, I think my, my profile now is such that I'm getting... You know, I'm getting asked to play in kind of charity matches, celebrity <laughs> like pram, celebrity charity matches. Your profile other, and other exhibitions. your ability is getting yeah. getting you uh, asked I, to just play, you know, little non-serious games. Yeah, I've played twice now, two appearances. I've got four runs at strike rate of about forty odd. Okay, uh, and I've bowled three and a half <laughs> overs for thirty eight. I like that you told me the strike rate as though like you know four runs. Okay, but at what strike rate? <laughs> so like somehow that makes it better. Well, no, I got four, four runs full stop. That's all I need to I know. Got four runs off nine, and then I didn't bat in the second game. Okay, that's not too bad actually. Four, well, it is. You know it really isn't. I came in at eleven. <laughs> uh, you know, it was drizzling. This is during the thunderstorm kind of of last week. It was starting to drizzle. Uh, on a new springy mat at the, the King George the Five. King George the Five. <laughs> Can't talk. Uh, on a new springy mat down at the uh, the home of Guernsey Cricket. Our, our current monarch, of course, Queen Elizabeth the <laughs> Two. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I batted against, I batted against some good players. Managed to get them away, and then I, I kind of bottom edged one. You managed to get them away for nine balls, for eight balls. Well, I got, you know, got them off the off the square, but then then I just bottom edged <laughs> one uh, off the kind of turn of the bat. I just didn't really move my feet. I tried to kind of bring it from kind of Peterson style, bring it from off uh, to kind of like was mid on, uh, and I didn't really move my feet, so it was very wide. I just bottomed it. And I didn't bat the second game. I bowled quite a lot. Okay. I say quite a lot. I bowled three and a half overs for 38. <laughs> it's not too bad, actually. Well, again. Uh, but it's not like there haven't been chances of my bowling. The, uh, the Guernsey captain dropped a regulation catch. He was keeping wicket for me the other day. Wow. Nicked off. and Was he standing up to the He was stumps. standing up. But yeah, yeah. I'm too quick to stand up to you. I think we can all agree on that. I always used to be really frustrated with him because he, the Guernsey captain was in our year at school and uh, so we used to play on the same team at school and he he always used to stand up to me as an opening bowler which does a lot for your confidence say that <laughs> much. but he, he was confident about standing up to me but I don't think he ever took a single catch when he was standing up he just kept dropping them but because he was the captain I couldn't really tell him to no. stand back if you're listening Jamie I'm still annoyed about it <laughs> I'll be back though. I'll be back. I think we've got another game next week. You know, maybe I could force myself into the island team now. <laughs> well, if you keep going like this rate, mate, four runs at a strike rate of forty. Uh, if you can sort of progress from there, maybe 
11 runs at a strike rate of 42, yeah, then it would be, it'd be quite hard for the, the island selectors to continue to ignoring away. you. No, exactly. Uh, but I think I'm going to get in the nets over the winter and, and work on my bowling. That will not happen. <laughs> England. This is the part of the show, Tone, where we talk about England. Now, it's been another disastrous week for the England cricket team. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it only goes and bloody well gets worse. A historic victory for India at Lourdes. It was a it was a green pitch, wasn't it? It was a real green surface, exactly what England wanted. They won the toss, bowled first, and had India 145 for seven at one point. But India fought back an absolutely superb 100 from Ajinka Rahani. They added well over 100 runs in the final session, uh, meant that they were eventually all out for 295 on the second morning, which was a, a many more runs than, than England would have been hoping to restrict them to. England were in trouble at 113 for four. Uh, they recovered through 100 for Gary Balance, 32 for Moen Ali and a half century for Liam Plunkett. It meant that they got past India's score, but not by miles, 319 all out. The game then really sort of swung one way and then the other. The pendulum kept swinging, didn't it? Uh, when India were 118 for one, it looked like they were running away with it. But England fought back. Plunkett took two wickets in two balls. And at one point, India were 235 for seven, only about 200 ahead. Uh, but then Ravi Jadeja came out and blasted 68 from 57 balls, a half century from Bhuvneshwar Kumar as well. So they finished on 342, which set England a target of 319. Always a tough ask, but they were going along pretty well on the final morning. Joe Root made 66. Moen Ali was there on 39. He was dismissed the final ball before lunch. And after that, England disintegrated. Uh, they were eventually all out for 223. Matt Pryor, Ben Stokes... And Joe Root, all caught playing pull shots. Ishant Sharma took seven for 74 as India wrapped up a tremendous victory by 95 runs. Oh, wow. So if I had to express my reaction to this defeat in a word or noise tone, I think it would be, oh, f- <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty dreadful on that final afternoon, wasn't it? It was very disappointing. I can't say I saw any of it live. I finished work, uh, finished work, popped out for a quick bite to eat. So I was on a very early start. Popped out for a little bit of lunch uh, during the lunch break. Uh, I was like, oh, perfect. And I'd go home and hopefully watch a very exciting conclusion to the, uh, to the test. Got home, uh, switched on the telly, and uh, the uh, presentation was happening. <laughs> it's very disappointing. Very dis- and then I got a text from you a little while after that saying, uh, and then I got a text from you saying, what's the score? And I, I didn't really have the heart to tell you. I, did, I wanted to try and let you down gently. <laughs> I also didn't see it live. I, I, I missed it after lunch. Uh, it, believe it or not, Tone, you may not be able to believe this. I was on the beach. Uh, I actually had good Just reason. getting photos. Had good reason this time because it, it, it was my brother's birthday. And it was my day off from work. We went, we went to the beach. Uh, but I'm, I couldn't get the 3G to work on my phone. I got a new phone this week. Uh, I couldn't get the 3G to work. So I text you. Didn't hear back from you for ages. And then eventually got a text uh, much, much later that said, I'll put it this way, Sharma's got seven for. But I already knew that what had happened at this point because we left the beach uh, at around about 3.30. So it would have been just coming up for tea. And I got in the car, switched on the radio. So we're really desperate to know what the score is. Feeling a little bit nervous, thinking... You know, I really hope we haven't lost sort of three wickets. Uh, and on Radio 4 Longwave, they were talking about gardening. It's just a man there going, yes, I think actually the, the freezers are, are really quite good this year. And I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, no. 
So that was pretty pretty depressing. What was? What should we talk about? India first? Yeah, we, we, sh- we shouldn't ignore India. I think you know, in in all the kind of uh, media hysteria after the game, which we're about to contribute to, uh, you know, it, it has been a little bit overlooked in England. I'm sure not in India, but in England, it's been overlooked just how terrific India were in this game. You know, does this go down as one of India's all-time great Test victories? It's up there, but. I do think it's more one of uh, England's all-time great defeats, okay. really, uh, in many respects. But but yeah, I mean, certainly India, from their perspective, played the played the perfect game, didn't they? We, well, yeah, I mean, losing yeah. the toss on a on a on a green top, and ending the game by bouncing England out, and to do it at Lords, and for the game to finish with Jadeja running out Anderson, you know, it's just the, yeah. the perfect script for India. Yeah, and it's the you know away victories have been pretty. Uh, hard to come by for them recently so in that sense it's yeah couldn't have been a better occasion for them and there were some fantastic individual performances amongst there wasn't it Rahani's innings was pretty special uh other player you know Kumar these are two great tests well yeah, I don't think I said in my in my roundup of the game that he took six for 82 in the first innings and scored a half century and we can't yeah we, and England's bowlers can't get him out uh, well, they literally can, but <laughs> but yeah, it's taken, it's them, taken them a little while to a do long it. Time to do it. So, uh, so yeah, no, in, India were, were absolutely excellent. I mean, there's no way Sharma should have got all those wickets on the final day. England, you know, there's no question about it. England threw away many, many of those wickets were chucked away, like an old crisp packet. Uh, <laughs> but, a packet of quavers. But just... India, you know, India played very well. You know, Murali Vijay. And again, in the second innings, it was excellent. And then, the, the, yeah, they just got just got too many, didn't they? I mean, England had ch- many chances to to get properly on top of the game. It didn't take any of them. Let them get away again. And when they had, you know, when they were batting well, they threw it away. So that was what was so frustrating from an English perspective. You know, in the aftermath of the game, you can look back and see five or six moments where England could have seized the game by the scruff of the neck. And the England side of certainly of three years ago, but even of two or one year ago, would have would have done that would have would have killed the game off there they're obviously missing some big players they're missing peterson they're missing swan they're missing trot guys who two or three years ago had england been in that position they're the sorts of people that you'd have expected to to put in the performances that would win the game so missing those players is a big loss but there's still some some excellent players in the team and they're not doing it but yeah on india yes it was a terrible performance for england and, and clearly this is not a very good side at the moment for various reasons. It should be a better side than it is, but right now it's a pretty pretty dismal unit. So just on that basis, you'd say, well, it probably shouldn't go down as one of India's all-time great victories. But I do feel this is a little bit like England's win in Mumbai in 2012. It's, it's almost exactly the equivalent where, from India's perspective, you know, a lot of criticism of the team in the lead-up not had a lot of success in these conditions in recent years and it's probably the most challenging conditions that they could be faced with certainly the the most kind of alien conditions that they're used to and they ended up winning the game convincingly that's exactly what England did in Mumbai where they turned up and it was you know uh, turning square and their batsmen really struggling against spin coming into it and then they they won the game uh, you know essentially beating the opposition at their own game and I think at the time I described that Mumbai victory as one of the most satisfying wins that I could remember as an England fan and I suspect that Indian fans will feel the same about Lords. You mentioned Sharma and yeah it, it, he he had a few gifts didn't he but he was magnificent and he, well magnificent in the sense that he spotted a weakness and exploited it and actually did bowl pretty well I think he you know maybe on another day he wouldn't have got seven wickets but 
he was much quicker, I thought, much more hostile than you usually expect to see from him. I mean, he's, he's taken a, a lot of flack over the years, hasn't he? And rightly so, in the sense that he probably should have been a lot better than he has been. I think he's still averaging about 37 in around 60 tests, you know, which is nowhere near good enough. But when he gets it right, he's a real handful. I mean, yeah, I mean, he did bowl very well. I, I don't really understand this, this this short ball issue that's cropped up again. Because it's like a lot of the, the wickets that went down, particularly on that final day, you know, the, the players were pulling it not from like around, they weren't kind of swatting it away from around their heads and it was like, you know, lightning quick. They were kind of just like pivoting on a foot and, and and pulling it from about kind of just over waist height, really, which is bewildering. They're just picking out the fielders, you know. They were literally just dropping down the throat of fielders. But th- but this is why, like, I do have a slight issue with this with this reaction to that collapse. You know, all the words come out. It's not just that collapse. It's happened a lot over the last year as England have been losing. All the words like brainless and pathetic. You know, those sorts of words come out. And people keep saying, "Oh, it's such such a stupid shot," you know. You know, listening to uh, the radio, people going, "Oh, it's you know Agnew and Co." Going, "Oh, it's uh, you know what a stupid shot." I can't believe the stupidity. And clearly, it's extremely frustrating when you're watching it to see someone play a pull shot and just pick out a fielder. But at the end of the day, you know, it's only stupid if you get it wrong and you get out. And no one says that's stupid when they take on a short ball and pull it for four. Like Mo and Ali, first innings, comes out, first ball skips down the wicket, smacks the bowler over his head for four. And on the radio, they're all going, oh, what a, what a confident shot. You know, that speaks of the confidence of him to come out and do that. It, it, Mo and Ali in the second innings, when he, he just fended one off and got out, and Agony was complaining that, you know, that he didn't take it on. He's saying, oh, it's such a shame that he didn't trust his instincts and just pull it. it. Every shot is stupid if you get out to it. And in India's second innings, you know, Ravi Jadeja came out, played a shot a ball, scored at well over a runner ball, changed the momentum of the game. And that now, you know, is going to go down as one of the, the great innings. If he'd played a shot uh, right at the beginning, got out for five or six, people would have been saying, what, a, what an idiot. Yeah, it was an excellent innings, wasn't it? But he was just, it was just flashing. Yeah, so he, flashing hard. so he was taking risks and he got away with it on another day he wouldn't have done. But do we want batsmen to not take risks? I mean, this is the thing. I think every shot is stupid. If you get out to it, in most circumstances, it's not the choice of shot that's the issue. It's the execution of it. Unless you're going to say that every big shot is stupid, even when it goes for a boundary, then it it's kind of hypocritical, I think, to, to criticise batsmen for playing shots. Clearly, there are times when the risk is too great. You know, it's all about calculating the risk. And if you've got three fielders out on the leg side waiting for it, you know that they're setting the trap. Maybe that's not a good time to go for it. But... I've, I've mentioned this innings before, but Kevin Peterson scoring 158 in that uh, 2005 oval test. There were men out on the hook. Brett Lee was bowling short, setting the trap. He was taking it on, hitting sixes, and that's going down as one of the great innings. But he could very easily have top edge one and hold, hold out there. And it, it, ultimately, it's just the execution. If, if the batsmen that are trying to play those shots are consistently not executing well enough, then you can say, well, he's not good enough and we'll we'll select someone who's better at doing it. But... I'm not sure that you can really criticise them too much for the type of shot that they're playing. Well, it's, yeah, well reasoned. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, but then again, you know, the way the shots were executed, it was limp, wasn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't all quite there. Yeah, and Root and Ali were having so much success in the morning by raising, reining themselves in, uh, accumulating slowly. For England to then come out after lunch and suddenly become incredibly frenetic and take on all these short balls... 
Particularly get out. They'd lost, it, uh, they'd lost Man Ali to the last ball before lunch. I mean, you know, that was exactly. And you was, say, well, that was pretty desperate. Play the situation and play sensibly. But again, that Jadeja innings, India were in big trouble at that point. People at that stage would have been saying he should play the situation, rein himself in, look to accumulate. He didn't do that. He went out, smacked it around, changed the course of the game. And people are saying, what a fantastic innings! What a confident lad! It's a, like it's unfortunate, but Matt Pryor took it on and it didn't work. He's obviously not in form. He's injured. But I, I'm not sure he would have lasted that much longer if he'd been no, trying to defend agreed. it anyway. So I mean, part of this point was, you know, the deficit in the end, what, 95 runs. Uh, you know, England weren't that many runs away from putting India under real pressure. And then, it, you know, it's a, it's potentially a different game. Then he needed maybe another 40 or 50 and suddenly we'll put another 40 before India thinking, Christ, we're going to miss out here. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess my point then is just that I think, I think batsmen should be given a, a bit of a break sometimes i mean yes it's not 2020 cricket you don't want people going out playing big shots every ball but you can't expect batsmen to to never attempt to score a boundary to never attempt to hit the ball in the air to never play big shots the only difference between a good shot and a stupid shot is whether you execute it well or badly so it's not really a a good shot or a stupid shot it's just a a good shot or a bad shot i suppose so that aspect of the criticism did bother me a little bit but clearly there is no getting away from the fact that this was a very disappointing uh turn of events for england you know they they got the green pitch that they asked for they won the toss so what went wrong really i mean was it was it that first day did they lose the game on the first day with their bowling performance it wasn't atrocious you know it, just again just the lack of ability to finish the, the opposition off you know as you said at 145 or 7 you know if they'd, if they'd got them out all out for 170 180 uh, then again, yeah, it's, it's a very different game, and that would probably have been about right given the surface. You know, we, we can't expect them to rattle through India in for less than a hundred, uh, but to let them get away uh, again, you know, Kumar played a big part in that, didn't he? And, and that Rahani innings to get them, let them to get away two nine five was criminal. But yeah. I mean, how do you change that? It's just well, for start bowl at the stumps, I guess. We've the, been saying it for about three years. The line that Anderson and Broad bowled on that first day was was pretty unforgivable to be honest though you know clearly they've been uh fantastic bowlers for a really long time but that that was a a poor effort from both of them on the first day and you know they let Alistair Cook down there if you're if if I was Alistair Cook I would feel a lot of the criticism that he's getting is quite unfair because his bowlers are letting him down I mean people are talking about this result as a, a new low for England even beyond Sydney even beyond Headingley the Sri Lanka defeat do you go along with that, Tom? Is it the low point of Peter Moore's second tenure? Yes. <laughs> uh, is it the low point of kind of this? Is it the nadir of this particular wider low since the uh, last Ashes? Probably, although arguably the Ashes were worse. Uh, but I mean, they've been worse. You know, England, England teams have been have looked and played worse you know, in our lifetime in the post Atherton era, haven't they? So yes, but but. Perhaps not in this Perhaps century. Perhaps not for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah agreed. <laughs> agreed. No, pretty poor. The, the, I mean, there are so many. You know, when were there this many question marks, doubts over players, doubts over batting orders, bowlers, everything, keeper? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's right? I don't know. You know Gary Ballins is probably the only player who's, and Joe you know, Root's looking good. Rooty. Rooty. They actually played well in this game. But I mean, those they? two are probably the only two. And um, uh, Wayne Alley hasn't done himself any harm as he's, he's done all right so but apart from that you'd say well you know if there were better play, if there were other players around you'd say the rest of them could easily go 
Well, this is the thing. I'm not sure that this performance was a new low in the sense that I don't think it was a worse performance than certainly than Sydney and, and one or two other occasions over the last nine months. In isolation, it wasn't that disastrous. As, you said, as we said, it was a fairly close game most of the way until that collapse on the final day. England could easily have, have won it even on that final day. But of course, it hasn't happened in isolation. And, and this is the thing, it, you know, it's just for it to happen again, they've now lost, what, seven out of nine tests. While this maybe wasn't the worst performance in the last year, it's possibly the most hopeless that I've felt. It's the the lowest that I've felt about the England team in the sense that I go. just... Now we're getting to the good stuff. <laughs> now we're getting to the feelings and emotions. <laughs> it's like some kind of weird weird alien who just feeds on my yeah. on my negative emotions. Getting to the kind of underbelly now. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Yes. <laughs> We've punched through the kind of bolshy exoskeleton and now we're into the punched, soft underbelly. Punched through all those summary all pictures ego, on Instagram. All that ego, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I just, I, I just don't see how England turn it around. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I, you know, they've, they've lost so many senior players over the last year. They've lost another one in Matt Pryor now. And the ones who remain are not delivering, you know, ever. It's just very difficult to see where the next good performance is going to come from. And listening to Peter Moore's talk after the game didn't fill me with confidence, I have to say. And they've they've picked the same squad for the third test, with the exception of dropping Simon Kerrigan, which is really <laughs> going to make a big difference, I think. Yeah. You've got to feel sorry for Kerrigan. I mean, he comes in, plays one test, is absolutely appalling, gets dropped. Now he doesn't even play a test and he gets dropped. <laughs> He's been dropped. It's, you, you wouldn't think it could get worse for him, but it has. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is it, with, with this... The kind of all the the pressure has just intensified with this game. Or a few people have said that you know Pryor was hounded out and kind of he was treated badly by the media and the scrutiny. But you know that's what that's what it's about, isn't it? You can't really have any complaints. Uh, so as you say, he's gone. The rest of them pretty indifferent. You know, Stokes isn't exactly on a great trot, is he? Three ducks in a row. In well, three series. ducks in a row, but I think it's also six in his last ten innings or in his last eleven in- innings for England in all formats. If you'll remember, yeah. Tone, I was sounding a negative note about Ben Stokes at the end of the Ashes tour when everyone was, you know, waxing lyrical about him, uh, about his batting. And I was just saying, let's not get carried away. Uh, and people did get carried away and, you know, perhaps coming down to earth a little bit now. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, but I mean, it, there's an argument that says he's batting too low. You know, what's he, he batting eight and nine? Well, I think he is. is. I think he is batting too low. For you know, sure. it's, it's, but I, I only think he's batting madness. too low in the sense that. If you're going to 
pick him to bat at eight or nine, you're essentially picking him as a bowler. There are better bowlers. So I mean, he's actually bowled pretty well in the series, but there are better bowlers than Stokes. If you're going to pick him, you have to bat him at six. But perhaps given that his batting it's is so poor, there. then you shouldn't be picking him. So that's Stokes. <laughs> you know, so ten players to go. I mean, the the cook, the pressure on Cook hasn't gone away, has it? And the thing is, he's not even like he's scoring fifties. Uh, you know, at least he put a couple of fifties on the board against Australia. Which, if you've got someone at the other end, you know, that can constitute a good start, kind of. But you know, when was the last time England had a good start? Innings and innings ago. Uh, well, I don't. He, they can't have put together a hundred partnership opening up since before the first test of the Ashes last summer. Yeah. Yeah, Cook's top Just scored. on the basis that Cook scored no runs. Cook's top scored 28 in the last nine innings, which is, you know, just hopeless. It's garbage, isn't it? It is garbage. You do, you do feel sorry for him. It is he, unfortunate. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Like, you know, last summer, he scored that 100 against New Zealand, leading the, the you know, he's the, the, the most successful English batsman ever. I mean, he still is. Well, yeah, he's, he's never going to not be until yeah. someone goes past him. Uh, you know, a year later, he's on the verge of being booted out the team. It's incredible. Close to a laughing stock. Well, yeah. I mean, a, a, you know, just over a year ago, he was. We were talking about him as being, you know, is he one of the all-time greats? Well, we're talking yeah. about him. He's going to go and make 35, 40 centuries. It's sort of Cook, Amla, Clark. You know, they You know, maybe one or all of them could end up being talked about in the same breath as Dravid and Ponting and people like that. And you know, Cook is just the the. The rate at which that has all vanished for Cook is astonishing. I mean, it's still possible that he'll finish his career as one of the all-time greats because if if the captaincy is removed from him at some point, maybe he has a break from the team. He's still only 29. He could come back and play another five years and score another, you know, 15, 20 test match hundreds. That's not impossible. But 20 test match hundreds might be <laughs> might be too many, but 10 or 15 might not be Get your money on. impossible. Because, you know, he's still... Got that the, player the same still there. talent, yeah. yeah, that he had. It's not like he's thirty six and he said, "Oh, he's never gonna." You know, maybe his eyes have gone. Maybe you know, it, he's he's just hopelessly out of form and has been for a year. And I, I do think that's because of the captaincy. I think it's the pressure is too much for him. And like you say, it's a shame because he's such a nice man, and he has brought so much pleasure to England fans over the years that you don't want to see it reaching this point. But actually, it's not only reached this point, it reached this point quite some time ago. I bet he wishes he'd resigned after Australia. Now, at the time, he sort of... He, I, faced, I guess they he fronted felt, up, didn't he? He fronted up and he felt, well, it can't get any worse than this, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stick with it. But actually, it has got worse. Possibly in this game, he did look a bit better at the crease. You know, his footwork was miles better. His judgment outside of stump was improved as well, until he nicked off, until, <laughs> until he eventually yeah. nicked off. But even if he does get a score... Now, that's not going to be enough. You know, he's going to have to score about eight back-to-back hundreds to make up for everything that's happened, and it won't necessarily change everything because if the if the rest of the team don't back him up and England keep losing, it, it's not going to change anything about the situation with the captaincy. There's a great quote from Boycott. Only Alistair Cook, his wife and family, want him to remain as captain. Nobody else. <laughs> Just brutal. Well, it's brutal. I also don't think it's true. because Yeah, because I, I don't think his wife or family would, would want him to stay as captain. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say because <laughs> I think probably his wife and family don't want him to stay as captain. So that's point A. But also there are, there are some other people who want him to stay as captain, notably Giles Clark and Paul Downton, who have essentially staked everything on, on Cook remaining as the captain. This decision to sack KP 
which looked bloody ridiculous at the time, looks ever more ridiculous with each passing test. And this is why I got so angry with Charles Clark before the first test match of the summer, saying, oh, England fans need to move on now. It's like, well, no, we don't need to move on until, you know, until at the very least we see whether it has improved the team in the way that they claimed it would. And clearly it hasn't. If, if anything, it's worse. He wants back in, KP. He's got to be worth a go. I mean, there's a very real possibility that he could come in and fail and be rubbish. But give it a try. I don't know. You know, there's also a possibility that he could come in and, and you know, and play marvellously and get a lot of runs and then you're away. So well, yeah, I mean, he, he it's wasn't... got to be worth the gamble. He wasn't pulling up trees in the last year either. You know, if, no. if he had stayed in the team, you know, possibly he'd be suffering from the same malaise that appears to be afflicting Cook and Bell and, and Pryor and the others. So there's no guarantee that he'll, that he would come in and do better, but it's astonishing that they that they've not only not given him the opportunity to do that, but said we're never picking him again. You know, if they'd said okay, we're going to move on from him now, or you know we're dropping him at this point, we're not saying never. You know, clearly he'd be worth a go right now. It's very frustrating, I think, that things have reached this point, and because they've staked so much on getting rid of Peterson and and putting everything into Cook as the captain. This is why they're still not prepared to make the call and and ask him to stand down. It's politically impossible for them. But England cricket fans deserve better than that. They deserve more than just Giles Clark and Paul Downton trying to save their reputations. Yeah, I mean, like, who cares about Giles Clark or Paul Downton's reputation, really? Only Giles Clark and his family, I think. Yeah, I don't really, I couldn't care less. I'll forget Giles Clark in a few years. Well, it's not like their reputations aren't disappearing down the yeah. down the swanee anyway. What so. reputation have they got anyway? <laughs> I didn't even know. What? Well, yeah. If Cook were to go, there, there's still the question of who would replace him. Uh, you know, which we've talked about so far this summer. And you know, if anything, there's less candidates now than there <laughs> were when we last about, week by week basis. We last have talked about it because obviously Matt Pryor's now gone. Ian Bell, who was, I suppose, even though he's not really a captain. The most obvious replacement, you know, he's equally, he's equally out of form, struggling. His place, I suppose, is going to be, be in jeopardy at some point soon. So who would it be? I mean, can you really give it to one of the young lads? I, I've said before, I desperately don't want them to give it to Rute. But <laughs> well, you, I mean, you, you can give it to, can you give it to Balance? Can you give it to Moen? Like, it's not going to be any of them, is it? So who would it be? Well, as if, I mean, Moen Ali's been talked to, hasn't he? I think he's captained age group teams, hasn't he? Uh, I think Captain England in 13, so he's got pedigree. Uh, <laughs> Owen Morgan has been touted, hasn't he? He's not even in the team, and he's a complete flop at test, in test cricket. Well, Michael Vaughan is very keen on Owen Morgan, and I, I have been keen to see Morgan given another go at test cricket because I think flop is a bit harsh. Yeah, okay, he did score strong. two test hundreds. Uh, and but I mean, for, comparatively with his talent, you know, I think everyone thought Morgan was going to come in and be, you know, be a fixture. No, that's absolutely true. But he was he was made a scapegoat for that whitewash in the UAE when all the batsmen were terrible, and he's not had a look in since then. I don't think it would be unreasonable to give Morgan another go at Test cricket. To ask him to captain immediately is probably you know a bit of a tall order. But having said that, you know I, I wouldn't normally be a fan of this, but maybe what England do need right now is for someone completely outside the team to come in and take over, because it's very apparent that the current team environment is is toxic, is not producing good cricket. And so maybe it needs a real shake-up and it needs someone to come in from the outside. And that would have to be someone who would, who would have some authority. So it's got to be a sort of senior figure. Owen Morgan is a senior figure you know, within the England limited oversight. So if he were to come in, 
to the test side, it's not like you know bringing in someone who's completely uncapped, who's who's never played test cricket before, never played for England before, and asking him to captain. You know, Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad. I'm not sure they'd really uh, listen to what he had to say, but they probably would listen to Owen Morgan a little bit. So that, that's what Vaughan is advocating. I, I'm not 100% behind that, but I I'd, I'd probably rather that than the current situation. I'd actually, if I was going to bring in anyone to to do that job, I'd probably go Chris Reed. There is a vacancy in behind the stumps. I think it's a real shame that Chris Reed hasn't played more Test cricket for England. He's been a very successful captain with Nottinghamshire. He was always found wanting as a batsman at Test level, but he's much better batsman now in the County Championship than he was when he was last given a go in 2006. He's old enough that he's probably you know going to command at least a little bit of uh, respect from the the other players. That's probably the way I would go if I was going to bring in anybody from the outside. That's obviously not going to happen, uh, but that that would be, you know, if I were in charge, as God willing someday I will be, uh, that is what I would do. I mean, you know, it does warrant warrants a bit of a shake-up, doesn't it, at this point? You know, we said after the whitewash in Australia, you know, I, I thought, like, you know, best not to chuck out everything you know you want to you want to retain some of that core that did so well for so many years but actually they've just they've fallen even further they've they've, they've got worse uh, unimaginably so you know you almost think almost just bring in a whole new team well there's still three tests to go and england as we say were incredibly disappointing on the final day but actually could have won they could have won game. it yeah they, they could i thought they were going to win it at about th- on at least three separate occasions so if they produce a similar performance at the rose bowl and just don't throw it away then it could easily be one all and then we'll be looking at a series in a completely different light. So you know, perhaps it's worth giving most of these guys one more game. But it just does feel, it does feel now like we've reached the end of the road for, you know, a lot of elements of this England team. But they've picked the same squad so that it obviously isn't the end of the road. So we'll see what happens. Uh, just briefly on Matt Pryor, you know, he's standing down for the rest of the summer because he's got about three different injuries. Does beg the question, why were they picking him if he's got about three different injuries? He's trying to play through, you know, a major injury in his hand, which is not a good injury to have if you're a wicketkeeper. A lot of people saying, oh, that's it for Pryor. That's the end of his career. Do you think it's the end? I mean, he's still only 32. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, it doesn't sound like he want, he's not retiring, is he? So, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds like he's got to have some pretty major surgery on various parts of his body. So, it's, yeah, it's not like he's going to be coming back in a month or two months. It would be you know, next summer, wouldn't it, probably, at the earliest. But, yeah, why not? Well, I mean, Joss Butler's been called up and you know, he's been touted before. It was a real debate whether it would be Pryor or Butler at the start of the summer. And if he comes in and is successful, is even reasonably successful, then you know, I doubt they'll go back to Pryor. But if he doesn't settle or if he gets injured, say, you know, immediately before the start of the Ashes next year... I, I, I'm sure they'd they'd much rather go back to prior than than call up someone who's never played before. So, you know, I I don't think that this will necessarily be the end for prior, and I I hope it's not because he has been such a hero for England, and it you know it would be quite a an undignified way for him to to bow out if if it is. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, so in these situations it's always easy to just be like, oh yeah, this player's rubbish, but yeah, at various times he's been the best in the world. So yeah, like as we say, England have lost so many senior players. You know, they're all incredibly hard to replace. Swan, Trot, Peterson, very, very difficult to replace. And Pryor will be as difficult to replace. Uh, we've already seen how hard it is to replace him, in the sense that 2014 Matt Pryor has been a pale shadow of previous Matt Pryor. Is there's a very uh, apparent gulf in the team without the Matt Pryor from a couple of years ago? 
Do I dare ask what your prediction is for Southampton? It starts on Sunday, doesn't it? Of all days. Very weird day to start a test match. Yeah, very strange. Uh, hard to back England, isn't it? It is tough to back England. I mean, I backed England winning the series 2-1, I think. Yeah, I said India 2-1. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy. It is not easy. I don't... I don't know. I couldn't say. Much like the heat wave, this episode of the World Cricket Show has left me a sweaty mess. Uh, and as a result, I'd like to bring it to an end, I think. Have you enjoyed yourself tonight, Tim? Yeah, I've had an all right time, thanks. You've had an all right time, brilliant. <laughs> uh, we've not really had a t- chance to talk about uh, South Africa's winning ghoul because we spent a hell of a long time talking about England just then, and I want to complain about a parking ticket in a second. Right. Uh, but yeah, South Africa, victory in ghoul, 1-0 up against Sri Lanka. The, the Hashim Amla era starting with a bang tone sort of a new era for south african cricket but actually there's some pretty familiar names doing the damage stain and morkel blowing sri lanka away on the final day uh, i must confess i haven't actually seen any of this game not even highlights uh, but from reading about it it's obviously a, a fantastic victory for south africa you know they were reeling after losing to australia earlier this year lost their number one status lost graham smith lost jacques callis uh, tough place to go so to win the first test of that series is a, is a magnificent result. Remains to be seen what happens in the remainder of the series. But, uh, but yeah, great start for Hashim Amla. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not too bad when you've got Dale Stain. Well, I mean, Stain, you know, we've talked at various points, haven't we, about he's the best at various things. Uh, you know, Anderson's had spells where you thought, you know, he's one of the best bowlers in the world. But then Stain just does it all the time. Yeah, I mean, where... Trend- Stain is the daddy. The Trent Bridge test last year when Anderson was so brilliant and people were saying, well, you know, he's he's the best bowler in the world, no doubt. I think I said at the time, if you think James Anderson is better than Dale Steyn, you've not watched a lot of Dale Steyn. He's, he's just so far and away the best test match bowler in the world and is one of the all-time greats of fast bowling. And, it, you know, it's it, it's a privilege to watch him at the moment. Not that I actually watched him, but it's a privilege <laughs> to read about him. And all his feats in, in Sri Lanka. I got a parking ticket on Saturday, Tone. Go on. Uh, now, to explain the way the system works in Guernsey, there's no paid parking and there's like a, a clock that you put up. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like I'm explaining it to you. Yeah, yeah. There's a clock that you put up. It's saying, to me. Saying what time, <laughs> what time you arrived and then the traffic warden goes round. He looks at the clock, you know, all the clocks on the, the car dashboards. If you've overstayed your time, then he gives you a ticket. Right? Are you following me so far? Yeah, I've got you. Uh, so I drove to work on Saturday morning, parked my car in a 10 hour. I walk four days a week, but Saturday is my little treat because it's much easier to find a parking space on Saturday. Uh, so I tend to drive on a Saturday and then, you know, then I can drive straight off, go straight to the beach <laughs> after work. So, yeah, so I, I parked in a 10 hour space on Saturday, got there at 8.30, uh, came back to my car at 5.15 when I finished work uh, to find a ticket there. And I was instantly furious <laughs> because the clock was on my dashboard at 8.30. Uh, so I took a picture of it and I was like, well, this is this is clearly a nonsense. I'm going to have to complain about this. Drove home, actually opened the ticket to read the thing inside. It wasn't for time. It was because my car is longer than the length of car that is permitted in those Classic spaces. Classic error. Classic error. Now, according to the ticket, the, uh, the spaces are for cars 3.6 metres in length and under. Do you know how long my car is? 3.62. No, a little bit more. 3.69. So it's nine centimetres over. 
So it's the tra the traffic one's obviously there with his tape measure measuring measuring my car. Oh, it's nine centimeters over. Slap me a ticket, thirty pounds. So I went to Good. I went to complain Good. about it. People like you make me sick. <laughs> what you do? How you make yeah? How you make other people's lives a misery? I was actually fuming about it. I went to the police station <laughs> and uh, and complained. I'm 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 thinking about contesting it. What did they say at the police station? Uh, the woman at the police station pretty much agreed with me that it was ridiculous because the thing is the it's nine centimeters over, but people don't know how long their cars are. I didn't know how long my well, car was before. Do you know how long your car is? No, but I know it fits in because it's a smart car. Well, okay. Well, your car is a smart but car. But what I would say is the very clearly the police do have a list of permitted vehicles and make some models. Well, where is this list? Available online. Because I said that and the police lady was like, oh, I don't think it's available. But but my thing was, it's, you know, I don't know the length of my car. People don't know how long their cars are. What I'm using as a guideline is the fact that the car very comfortably <laughs> yeah, fits I mean, in the is, space. Yeah. It's not even close to not fitting in the space. It's just in the space. What I'm also using as a guideline is the fact that I've been parking in that space every Saturday for the last <laughs> two and a half years. I wasn't really sure whether to say that at the police station. <laughs> yeah, retrospective, because exactly. daily ticket. No, you're uh, a felon. You're a felon. So absolutely livid about you're it. You're a criminal. It's just, I, my thing is, what is the traffic warden doing? He or she is going around measuring my car. He's not, though, but he knows that your model, your make and model, is not on the list. He knows it. But he's also looking at the car in the space, <laughs> seeing that it fits in the space. It's not causing an obstruction. Presumably, that ruling is so that cars like massive cars like people carriers or trucks don't come and park in there and cause an obstruction it's a guideline isn't it it's a deterrent so my problem is with the traffic warden looking at my car comfortably fitting in the space checking his list seeing oh this car's this car's slightly too big for this space slapping a ticket on and going home and thinking oh another job well done yeah that's the bit that <laughs> irritates me well you're, wait, you're preaching the converted here you know, I'm from the school of thought. It doesn't thought. sound like it. It no, sounds I'm like you're giving me a hard time. Well, Why are you being like this? <laughs> Why are you like this? I come from the school of thought that all there should be no rules on the road. <laughs> no regulations. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a school of thought. You know, there are some rules I like. I like driving. I like that everyone has to drive on one side of the road. Okay. That's safe. Yeah. Uh, I like indicators. And I like traffic lights. You don't really use your indicators, but you... Not all the time. <laughs> you like but them. what I don't like, I don't like... I don't like being told how fast I should drive. I don't like being told where I can park and when. Well, the speed thing, I, I can't say I agree with you at all. And also the, the parking for the most part, and I actually have quite a lot of sympathy for traffic ones because it's you know presumably quite a boring job and the only thing they get to do is give a ticket. So I, I do have some sympathy. But yeah, I mean, come on. At the end of the day, come on. Anyway, so that's frustrating. It's been a frustrating week. I need to decide Sounds what I'm going like to do about it. Uh, but yeah, that's it for the World Cricket Show this week. Actually, for the next few weeks, uh, Tony is going on holiday next week, where you're lashing in Ibiza, aren't you? <laughs> I'm going to Glasgow for a couple of days for the Commonwealth Games, not to compete, I should add. Uh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, not quite a late blooming sports career. I think I am. Might have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, Gold Coast 2018, that's what I'm targeting. Right, okay. Not sure in what. But uh, yeah, then down to Ibiza for a few days. So yeah, so Tony's away next week, and then after that, I'm away for a couple of weeks. Uh, summer holiday. It's my holiday. It's my summer holiday. Where are you going? I'm going to Portugal. Nice. Uh, which should be absolutely lovely. Uh, but yeah, so the next few weeks, we're still planning to do world cricket shows, but we might just need to ask your patience a little bit, in the sense that there'll probably be 
involving Skype. Audio quality might not be mind-blowing, but we'll do our best. And, yeah, we do ask for your understanding a little bit. Obviously, uh, we don't get any money for this. This isn't our job. We do do this on our free time, so we'll do our best is what I'm saying. Don't get angry. I don't want any angry tweets. No. But yeah, anyway, so we'll we'll still be delivering uh, your weekly dose of, of gold. But until next week, if you like the show, send us an email, worldcreatureshow at gmail.com. Uh, rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Uh, write a review if you've got a spare couple of minutes. That does help us out in our, our quest for new listeners. You can like us on Facebook as well at facebook.com slash cricket show. Follow us on Twitter. The show account is at cricket show. Tony is at Tony Cover, T-O-N-Y-C-V. Double R, and I am at Adam Bayfield one two. I've actually started tweeting quite regularly. Yeah, now. Tony is a it's becoming a regular a th- Stephen Fry. It's becoming a thing that I do now. I've <laughs> built it into my. I'm trying, you know, just tweeting every day. Nice. Not sure really what the point is. Yeah, I do get a slight amount of satisfaction when I get a new follower or a retweet, but that's so rare that that actually to be not worth the time I put in. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I've got. I've gotten used now to uh, waking up on a Friday morning to a text message from you saying, can you give me a follow Friday, please, mate? <laughs> well, you might have to give me a follow Friday, Tony. Might do, uh, that's right. My personal account could do with a few more followers. Yeah, I'm just starting debates left, right and centre. Join the debate. I just debate. don't think I'm funny enough on Twitter to really <laughs> ever get any traction. Cut the words on Twitter out of that sentence and uh, <laughs> I, think you, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, follow me on Instagram as well. Yes, it's Adam Bayfield. Uh, and I will be posting pictures of beaches. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much everything that you can do. I listen to our podcast as well. We do a weekly podcast, The World Cricket Show, uh, available on the internet. Worth checking out. But that's it. I think stay in school, everybody. We'll be back next week. I'll try and dial up Tony when he's, he's in Ibiza. Try and I'll get you on the phone when you're at like a phone party or something. Uh, yeah, get me, on the, get me on the blower. Are you DJing anywhere? I should be. I'll be DJing the pool. For sure, DJ my own party. Uh, everyone loves my taste in music. Nobody so. loves your taste in music. Everybody does. <laughs> Everybody does. It's literally built for a beat or so. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. See you next week, everybody. Bye for now. Can smell your fear. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 